Hey, good morning, Life Points. Hey, can we take a minute and just um, give a hand to all of our musicians and singers? They, especially today, these are all Dream Team members, all volunteers that are here that were here a lot earlier than I was to help us just engage in today's message and sermon. So I'm just so grateful for them. And I'm, I'm proud of all of us as a church. Um, yesterday was Serve Day. And I saw pictures of, you know, you guys making a difference all over our community. And we are a generous church. We're a church that believes in generosity through serving, through giving. And your generosity is blessing people that you probably will never get to know or see. But just continue to be consistent. I'm a, it's always amazing as we just get to see what God is doing through you guys. So keep it up. So by the way, my name is Mark. I get to serve here on staff at LifePoint. And if you're a guest, we are so glad that you are here our space is a church. We are committed to the good news of Jesus. How many of you guys know there's a lot of bad news, but we are committed to the good news of Jesus. Um, the good news of grace, the good news of forgiveness offered through the life, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's what excites me. It's what my faith is built on. And you don't have to believe that yet to belong here. But my goal is that by the end of the day, you'll feel inspired by God and through scripture to move a little bit closer to him, no matter where you are, if you're a doubter or a disciple, that you'll be drawn a little bit closer to Jesus today. So if you have got your Bible with you, um, we're going to start today in Luke chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have Sky Bible up here on the screen. Um, you can always, we've got some Bibles out in the lobby that you can get on your way out or there's always a Bible app. That's what I always am I'm, I'm drawn to. So you can look up either one of those things. But I always want people to, to make sure they know this is not just me making stuff up, okay? This is scripture that we're gonna be reading from and speaking from. So in Luke 5, I'm just gonna focus on two verses, but I just wanna let you know where we're, where we're at. So in Luke 5, Jesus has just begun his ministry. He gets in Peter's boat. He, he speaks a message, and then he tells Peter, push out into the water a little bit. He does this amazing miracle where they catch you know, tons of fish that is breaking nets, sinking boats. And Jesus has done something incredible by filling their nets. And so I'm going to just start here in Luke 5. It's verse 8. And it says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at his knees, at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were, and I want you to take a note of this, astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. So I want to keep this, mind, keep this passage in mind. We're going to come back to it later on, but let's just pray real quick. God, we thank you for scripture. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, I pray that your, your word, God, would speak much louder than mine today. I pray that you would just compel and draw people to a closer, deeper relationship with you. We give this to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, so I have a kind of silly confession to make to you guys today. I've got this certain YouTube obsession that is really stupid. I know, and don't, I can't have you guys make it fun of me because I know you all have some stupid YouTube things that you watch, like pimple popping videos. That's disgusting. Stop that, okay? That's so gross. My son, he, he loves to watch those. Or he likes to watch things like be melted. I'm like, why, why are we watching this? This is so dumb. But here's mine. I feel embarrassed almost saying it. Public freakout videos. So the ones where like people are just like in Target, just 
like on the tables, like throwing stuff and just acting wild. Or like they're in the fast food restaurants, just going crazy. Something about the human mind losing control is very intriguing to me. I don't know why, it just is. And the ones that I love the most are the ones when the employees are like, I'm done with this. I've had enough of you acting like this to me. And the employees like fight back. Um, And I think why those ones are intriguing to me is because my first few jobs were all retail jobs. Shout out to retail employees. Um, And I say few because man, I got fired from a lot of them. And I came to work one time dressed up like Santa Claus and it was June. They didn't like that. They sent me home and told me not to come back. Um, But I was not the greatest of employees, but for the most part, I, you know, I, I was trying, I was striving, but if I had, if, if like YouTube was super popular and I had an iPhone with me back in the 90s when I was working retail, when malls mattered, when Amazon was an infant, that's how old I am, um, I could have had story after story and all kinds of viral videos of the crazy things that went on in those stores. But there was one that stood out, and I can still remember it to this day because of how ridiculous it was. So it was one evening, and I was in the store working, and they always gave you these like ridiculous titles. I was the merchandising specialist. If you ever worked retail, you know that I was folding the pants, okay? <laughs> so I was folding the pants, and I was walking around the store folding the pants one evening, and if you've ever been the person that's at the store that has a certain job, and somebody is messing up your certain job, It can get a little bit tiring, but I'm folding the pants and I'm doing like I'm doing. And I come around the corner and I see this this woman and she's messing up a table of pants I folded. But she's there shopping, so that's her job. And it wasn't like she was going completely crazy. You could just tell she seemed a little bit flustered and frustrated. And so I went up to her and I said, ma'am, is there something I can help you find? And she goes, I'm looking for these pants in a size eight. I said, okay. And I said, "Um, I can help you look here on the table. And she goes, I need you to go look in the back. Now, if you've worked in retail, for some reason people think like there's this magical land of the back, <laughs> like it's a portal to the unknown. There's usually not a whole lot back there, a little bit, but not usually. I was like, okay, well, I'll go, I'll go check in the back. I said, ma'am, I'll, I'll be right back. I'll go check back there for you. So I go to the back. I look, there's nothing back there. I come back out. And I said, ma'am, I, I couldn't find any in the back. And now this is before you could just go online and look for stuff. And so I said, I can call one of our other stores and see if they've got any of the pants in your size. She goes, I am not leaving until I get pants in my size. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know how this is going to work. And she goes, you weren't back there for very long. Go in the back again and look. Now, I've always had this problem where I just kind of say whatever I want. Um, I've gotten so much better at it, but... Some of you that know me, you're like, you have not. Uh, and I said, lady, we are here to sell this stuff, not hide it from you. And then I said, I'm like, this is why I keep getting fired from these jobs. And I was like, okay, stop it. You follow Jesus, knock it off. Okay. And I walked to the back, you know, I count to three, because um, I'm not going to look again. There's nothing back there. I turn around and I come back. And now I walk out and there are khakis flying in the air. She is throwing the biggest fit and she's just making a humongous mess. And then she grabs a pair. She runs into the fitting room. I'm like, 
what is going on? She comes waddling back out with this pair that didn't quite fit around her pants she already had on, and she's waddling, holding them, swearing, saying all kinds of colorful language. And then she gets to the door, and she says, these are mine, and I'm not paying for them. And she waddles her way out, stealing these two small, too tight khaki pants, (laughs) waddling like a penguin. And I remember just standing there with a few of the other employees there, and we're like, at first, you're kind of in shock. Like, and then everybody, you know, just starts busting out laughing because of how ridiculous this was. Now, I'm not sure what had been going on in her day that day. I don't know what brought her to that point. I don't know if she had something horrible happen. I don't know why she needed those pants so bad. I have no idea what was going on. All I knew is that at that moment, she had decided the one thing that mattered most to her in the entire world was size eight khaki pants. And you know, I never understood either. Like, why didn't she pick a too big pair? Because it's easier to walk out like this than to waddle out like you'd be looking for toilet paper. I mean, you know, like we've all done the waddle, like knock it off. All right. But here's the question. How many times Do we get all worked up in a moment of frustration about something that's really not as important as we think it is? We all do it. I mean, my wife could tell you I'm a professional fit thrower, okay? I'll get worked up about the dumbest things and I'm I'm the major, like, I'm not gonna throw pants, but I'll be like, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, we know those people. They're like, you are not, you're throwing a fit, knock it off. And I was really convicted writing this message that I need to kind of chill out and stop doing some of those things because you miss out on some moments when you're throwing fits. But we can easily get engrossed in a moment and it becomes the most important thing in the world when really it's just not. And and before you know it, we're like this woman waddling out of the store. But we have to take our time to ask ourselves, does this really matter? And we're all in this together. There are things that are important. Occupation, identity, fulfillment, satisfaction, money, You ever had a really rich person be like, money's not that important. You're like, well, why don't you give me some so I can find out? (laughs) Like, and honestly, you know, at the end of it, it's, it's not the thing that matters most, but it is important. But what happens is we take things that do have some level of importance and we attach our emotions, our identity, our desires, all of our energy to those things. And oftentimes if we put them in the right context, we realize although they may be important, they aren't actually the thing that matters most. So today, I've got a premise and it's a foundational statement that I wanna kinda try to prove to you today and it's the title of my talk. And it's about what matters most. And here's what I think it is, breakfast. (laughs) Breakfast matters, okay, breakfast matters. And some of you are like right away like, this is awesome, like Rudy's chopping block, let's go. Like the crazy ones, you're like 3 a.m. Waffle House, smothered and covered. And I'm like, nah, that's diarrhea the next day. We ain't doing that. Um, and I'm not usually the biggest breakfast fan, actually. Like, I like some biscuits and gravy, but for the most part, it's like a lot of carbs, and it seems sometimes it takes a lot of time, so I'm just not the biggest fan. But as I was reading scripture, I found out I may be wrong, and I think what really matters is breakfast. So that brings me to a, another passage of scripture. 
John chapter 21, we're about to see Jesus do a very similar miracle to the the one we looked at in Luke 5. So John chapter 21, we're going to start in verse 3. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation this morning. It says, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, which John is writing about himself, that's always fun, (laughs) said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to the shore. The others stayed with him The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come have some breakfast. There it is right there, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. So let me catch you up kind of on this last statement of where we are in this passage. So Jesus has predicted his death, his burial, his resurrection. He pulled it off. Somebody does that, you pay attention. He told everybody he would do it. There were hundreds of of prophecies leading to near mathematical impossibilities that this would ever happen, but he fulfilled them. There were crowds who saw him die, beaten, put to death by well-trained executioners on a cross, but now there were crowds that saw him alive, living, and well. Evidently, everything he said was true, is true, forever will be true. The resurrection is what my faith is built on. It's what changed the entire world. And it was now shaking up these guys' lives big time. Now, some time had passed since the resurrection. And according to John, Jesus has appeared two different times to his disciples. But now Jesus has been gone for a while and things are different. The Jesus who used to be with them and walk with them every single day just wasn't around quite as much. Now, it's amazing. It's incredible. He's alive, but in his resurrected body, things have changed. And it's probably been a few days since they've seen him. And Peter, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, Peter is, when Jesus was in his worst moment, Peter denies that he even knows who Jesus is. Peter decides, I'm going fishing. And a few of the other disciples decide to follow, and they head out to their old stomping grounds. Now, why they exactly decided to go fishing, I couldn't exactly tell you. A lot of different pastors and commentators would tell you all kinds of different things. But I couldn't tell you. Maybe they were hungry and they need to eat. Maybe they're bored. Maybe they need to just go make some money. Maybe they were frustrated and they were like, I'm giving up on this and I'm going back to what I know. Or maybe they just need a place to think and clear their minds. I mean, many, if not most of the disciples were hung up on this ideal that the Messiah would come to take out Rome and to bring Israel back to where it needed to be. And Jesus didn't seem to have that same desire. The one thing I can tell you is they'd been through a lot. 
a lot. And I'm sure they're full of questions. There's got to be an uneasy anticipation of kind of what's next. Because they've experienced on their own trauma, failure, and now they've experienced this incredible hope and this excitement. I mean, that's a lot to go through in a short period of time. So Peter gets up and he goes back to what's familiar. I'm going fishing. For a lot of them, fishing was a way of life. It's something that they had known had been their occupation. And it could have been their getaway, just something they were good at, something they knew how to do. So they get their gear and they head out. And I wonder what they were talking about when they were on that boat. And you, you okay? You good? Are we going to be good? Like, what's, this is all good, right? Like, like this is going to, this is, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know, man. Sometimes I feel like I'm going crazy. Have you, have you seen him lately? Have you heard from him? I mean, it, this is all good. This is going to be good. Man, I got to go to the bathroom. Man, would you be quiet? We're trying to catch fish. I mean, these are just dudes out on a boat. You know this is kind of, but they're out there fishing, and I'm sure they're trying to talk to each other, maybe just spending some time in quiet and peace, but their minds have to be just wondering, what's, what exactly is next? But all night, they're out there fishing, and they catch nothing. Toss after toss, pulling up each time coming up short, nothing in the net. And now the sun is beginning to break above the horizon and they hear a voice shouting at them from the beach. You guys caught anything? They shout back, no. And the voice says, try the other side and you'll get some. Now, I don't know what they were thinking at that moment. I don't know if memories hit. I don't know if they were frustrated. I don't know if they were just exhausted and willing to try anything. I don't know if it, God suddenly moved on them. I have no idea, but the one thing I guarantee that they knew to be true, we have tried both sides of this boat. That was a truth I guarantee you they knew. This is the truth. We've tried both sides. There are no fish. But what they knew to be true was disrupted by the words of Jesus standing on the shore. And I've got some questions that I want you guys to write down and just ask yourself. And the first one is this. When have the words of Jesus disrupted your truth? When was the last time the words of Jesus disrupted your truth? When was the last time the words of Jesus hit you and made you think about something in a new way? I think our lives should constantly be disrupted by the words of Jesus. In fact, if his words always line up with what you know to be true, you may need to listen a little bit deeper. Because if you're anything like me, I want to make his words line up with my ideals, my upbringing, my preferences, my desires. I want, I want to do my best to make him line up with me. Because this is the truth I know, and his truth has to be the same as mine. But here's the thing. We all have truths. They had a truth knowing, I've thrown this net. And we all have truth, but inconsequential of how valid they are. If you're a Christ follower, our truth must be subject to him because our truth is our truth. He is the truth. And so every truth we have has to be surrendered to Jesus. The words of Jesus are often disruptive and unnerving and cause us to do something that maybe we've tried before. It doesn't make any sense. But we're going to be obedient and listen to his words. No matter what they thought, they decided to listen to this voice. So they take their nets. 
They throw them on the right side of the water. And it's begun to go down. And all of a sudden, they start to feel a pull. All night long, they've been fishing for something. And now as dawn is breaking, all of a sudden, boom, it hits. And this is heavy. And it's the catch that they've been waiting for all night long. It says it's 153 large fish. They say that's between like three to 400 pounds of fish. It's the catch of a lifetime. The next question I want to pause here and ask you is, what is it that you're fishing for? Because we're all out there fishing for something. These guys were fishing for literal fish, but we're all out there fishing for something. Some of y'all are fishing for somebody in this room, okay? And I mean, that's okay. Single, ready to mingle. I mean, that's, that's, I'm, that's okay. And we're all out here fishing for something, a better job, a promotion, more control, less stress, our family to just come together. And I could be wrong, but it doesn't seem like Jesus is upset with their desire for fish. Because in fact, he gives them way more fish than they could ever even hope for. He gave them 153 large, life-changing, career-altering fish. Because God is good, and he can resource, he can supply, he can provide any blessing that he chooses, whenever he chooses, however he chooses. And the problem isn't that you're fishing, but here's the, the more important question, is how much does what you're fishing for really matter? What happens if you finally catch it? Some people are like, man, if I could just have fill in the blank. And then they get that fill in the blank, and now they want another fill in the blank. What happens if you don't catch it? Well, if God doesn't do this, I'm out. But at the moments that the nets begin to catch, nets begin to pull, this catch loses all meaning. It doesn't matter at all to Peter anymore. John turns to Peter. It's him. And it says Peter rushes to put on his his outer garments. He puts them back on. And Peter jumps into the water. And it says they're 100 yards out. And from 100 yards out, Peter is just, I gotta get to him. Swimming, pushing, going forward. And he comes up out of the water, drenched, Breathing heavy, and I'm sure he just, it's him. He's, he's back. I missed him, and he's here. And guess what? A few steps away, Jesus has started a little fire. And there's fish filet breakfast already cooking. <laughs> the other guys, they pull up the boat, and I'm sure they're wondering, like, there's Peter again acting crazy. They pull up the boat, though, and then Jesus says something to him that I think is just so subtle but so incredible. And just He says, hey, didn't you get some fish in your boat? Bring some of them over here. It also shows us Peter must be a, like a stud. That, I told you, that's got to be like 300 pounds. He, says he just dragged it up on the shore. But here's what I think is awesome. Isn't it funny that Jesus already had what they were fishing for, just cooking on the beach? He already had fish. But he still invited them to bring what he'd blessed them with to join and partner with him. God is perfect in and of himself, but he chooses to invite us into his story. We serve a God of abundance and he still chooses us. 
Every talent, every gift, everything you can look in the mirror and say, this is a good thing about me that God has put into your net, he's given to you as an opportunity for you to partner with him in making a difference in loving people in this world. Then believes comes what I believe matters most. Jesus says, okay, come over here. Let's have some breakfast. Come have breakfast. And what that represents is just relationship. Spend some time with me. It's one of the last miracles Jesus does before he returns to heaven, and he gives us a standard for what matters. Relationship, love, him serving us, us sitting with each other. On the beach, there's no striving. There's no stress. These are just some grown men having breakfast with their Savior. It's a breakfast that eventually, as we read on, leads to a time of forgiveness and restoration and purpose, especially for Peter. He denied him, and Jesus eats some food with him, and then afterwards he just says, man, let's get back to work. And as we began our time today, had you look at a very similar miracle, but Peter's response was completely different in this one. And it was in Luke 5, we, looked, we started at the beginning, and I preached my very first main stage, big church sermon, as I like to call them, about 20 years ago from this passage in Luke chapter 5. And I went back and I looked at some of myself, like I know I said some, some stuff that I don't know that I'd say again. And one of my main points was this, and it sounds good, but it's not. It says, when we're obedient, God is so faithful. He, keep casting your nets and your blessing will come. That sounds good, but that's completely messed up. And here's why. No offense to anyone that's ever preached this this way. But God's faithfulness is not dependent on our obedience. Okay? God is faithful and God is good because he's God. That's just who he is. But my message was way more focused on me. It was way more focused on the catch. And as we read in verse 8 and 9, it's actually the initial focus of this person, of Peter. He tells Jesus, get away, and it says they were astonished at the catch. They weren't astonished at Jesus. They were astonished at what Jesus could do. He wasn't focused on being with Christ. He was so overwhelmed by what had always been true that you can't have something good if you don't do something good. And so he said, I'm not good. Get away from me. And Jesus is already showing a model of this isn't about you. This isn't you getting what you deserve. That would be a huge problem. I came to take care of that. But we all can do it. We turn the catch, we turn what's in our nets into the goal. And our performance starts to become priority. And if we're careful, if we're not careful, our generosity and service to others no longer stems out of a desire to follow Christ, but because we're fishing for a blessing. We start giving and doing the right things because we want to either get something back from God or we want to be praised by other people. We can't be living that way. Because when our focus is our catch, when our focus is our behaviors, we don't learn how to be intimate, we learn how to be impressive. Let me say it again. I don't want you guys learning how to be impressive. I want to learn us how to, how to be intimate. We trade authenticity for appearance, and we're not real with each other anymore. We become religious. Because real takes authenticity. It takes relationship. 
Religious takes outward appearance. That's what Peter had always known. And when that starts to creep in, that's when we become prideful. That's when we become anxious because we walk into a place and we're like, okay, I have to put on this front that maybe is not really who I am. And it starts to eat at us. We start comparing and competing. We become either mean Christians, we become hypocritical. None of that is God's will or desire for us. And these gray hairs on my temple are telling me, you know what, you don't have any more time to be preaching messages about behavior modification. You don't have any more time to be preaching messages about five points to a better you or Ted talks about Jesus. Jesus is not a set of principles to live by. He's a person to follow. His story is a risen king who offers us freedom, grace, goodness, relationship, and a life forever in his kingdom. Now, hear me out. Life change, holiness, obedience, those are all important things. And it's vital for us to realize, like Peter did in verse 9, like, I'm not worthy of any of this. We all have to get to that point at some point to realize, man, I'm a sinner, and on my own, I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve your mercy. But when we change our course, when we, when we repent and give our lives to Jesus, our focus has to be off of ourselves and onto our Savior. Some people are like, man, we need to know, we, we need to preach more about sin. I'm like, man, we need to be more compelled by grace. We need to be more compelled by grace. We need to be more focused on forgiveness. For someone in here today, and for some of you, maybe that's all you need to hear. This isn't dependent on your behavior. Jesus offers his goodness and his forgiveness freely, and you're invited to turn from what everything you've known to be familiar and follow him and find a new purpose in him. But by looking at these two passages together, we discover two very different responses from our friend Peter. Peter now knows after three years what's really important is no longer performance, it's proximity. And we need to get to that as well, that we realize it's not about our performance, it's about how close are we feeling to Jesus. Peter didn't simply focus on his out. Here, Peter could have done this. Remember his first response was, get away from me, I'm a sinner. Three years later, he could have yelled, go away, I messed up, I denied who you are, leave. That is not how he responded at all. He'd been in relationship with Jesus and he jumps into the water and he just, I gotta get to him. And I was trying to imagine as I was writing this, Peter swimming and the emotion of each stroke, just getting closer and closer to Jesus because I was wanting to get a clear view of what it was like to sit with this Jesus around the fire just wanting to cook me a meal because so many times I'm still like Peter at the beginning. And I'm so fixated on just the catch. I'm so fixated on my personal behavior and I think a lot of us can be like that from, from time to time. And we get fixated on our deeds, our works. And so what I do is I end up trying to prove my worth to God. God, let me show you how much I love you. God, look at all the good things I'm trying to do for my family. God, look at all the Bible passages I've, I've memorized. And, and I spent this much time in prayer and we just keep trying to show God, look what I've caught in my net for you. 
Look at all the things I've done. And we, and we throw it out again and we catch some stuff. And look what I brought. And I throw Where I need to be like, he's already got everything I need. Because there's other times when you throw out the net, and if you're like me, you know where that net comes up empty. I know what I'm good at. I know where God's graced me. But I also know my weaknesses. I know my struggles. I know how hard it is sometimes to get up here or to try to lead people as a pastor through things that I know that sometimes I struggle with myself and how awkward that feels sometimes. I know that you guys probably know that too, where you throw out your net and it comes up and you just feel empty. But I, I, I know Jesus is calling us from the beach. He's saying, hey, come here. Let me remind you of some things. Every single good thing in your net. James 1 says, every single good thing comes from God. So no matter what you have in your net that's good, it's not because you keep throwing it out. It's because I've put it there for you to catch. Every good and perfect thing comes from God. And we need to remember that. And then even better. Because remember, I said, I know my weaknesses. I know where I come up empty. And Jesus wants to tell us, in all of your weakness, wherever you feel inadequate, that's where my grace is made perfect. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us everywhere that we feel like we're not good enough or we've messed up, my grace can be made perfect and abound. Either way, in your strengths and your weaknesses, it's my grace, it's about me and you in relationship with me. Either way, it's about our relationship. It's breakfast with Jesus. And he says, my grace is more than enough. Don't let your strengths become your focus. Let those things become your offering. Don't let your weaknesses become your focus. Let those things be a place where I can be made known. So that leads me to my last question is this. It's just, how's your relationship with Jesus? Do you feel close to him? And I want to give you one of three options to do. For some of you, you need to be like Peter at the very first and just swim. Jump in the water. Jesus is calling you to have relationship with him. He's got everything you need, and he's willing to partner with you with everything you have. And he's saying, jump in, let's go. And you need to go all in with Jesus today. Some of you literally need to sign up to be baptized and actually get dunked in water. Some of you need to say, I'm recommitting, and I'm going to stop focusing so much on my behavior, because I know I, I, know I can't be good enough, and I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. Peter had messed up big time and he still decided, I know that there's a God who loves me enough that's going to redeem, restore, and forgive. Some of you need to learn to sit with him. Man, there, there are times when we just need to pause and take a moment and sit with God. And, and I don't mean open your Bible and read it more. I don't mean sit around and pray more. Those are things we should do and that's great. But I mean, when was the last time you actually thought about the incredible it says all creation tells his story. When was the last time you looked at a sunset and said, wow, my God is creative. Wow, that sun that goes down and rises each time, that's an amazing reminder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When was the last time we just paused and took a moment to do that? I'm horrible at this. I was talking to one of our staff members and they said, we do so many things that help us be better with our time and to save time. 
But what do we do with that time we save? Just add more stuff. What if we just added a little bit of Jesus to that? And as you sit with him, learn to sit with others too. Because he doesn't, he doesn't want us to do life alone. And, and don't get it twisted and mixed up and say, I can do this by myself. Man, I'm that person. I'm introverted. I can be socially awkward. I know that. I'm like, I don't need anybody. And Jesus is like, bull loaning. You might need people differently. Because of how I'm wired, I may need just a few close people, but I still need people. When you sit with other people, you're sitting with Jesus. Remember, he sat around that fire with a whole group of guys just serving him, hanging with him. And the last one is, maybe you need to serve beside him because as we serve beside Jesus, we get to know him better because he was a servant. And I don't, I don't just necessarily mean here. You should start serving here if you don't. Meet us at the big red wall, join us up in next steps and and here's the cool thing. You know what we have every single Sunday for our Dream Team members? Breakfast. And it's a great place to start, but God put you in a neighborhood for a reason. Have you ever thought about that? He says to love your neighbors, and sometimes we just take that as people in general. What if he literally meant your neighbors? And some of you are like, my neighbors drive me crazy. Well, good. Introduce them to Jesus. We had one of our staff members that was like, you know, I need to win my neighbors over for Christ because they're driving me crazy. And guess what? You're probably here today and you don't even know who that person is. <laughs> but just start serving. Start serving here. Start serving in your community. And just, when you see something, do something. And some of you guys need to step out and do something completely different in serving is get even more involved in this local church community. Man, I help I lead our interns and every Sunday night I sit around with a group of 30 to 40 people and we just talk Jesus. We explain how to try to do life better. And I would love for you guys to come join us and do that. But we all have a next step to take, whether that's swimming towards him, sitting more with him, or serving beside him. But I want you to focus on doing more. You work, people like to say this, you were created for more. I say, no, I was created for relationships. I want you to understand that you're created for a relationship because more doesn't matter. And this message really hit me just last month. So I, I preached up here a couple months ago and I told you about my dad had passed at the beginning of the year. And we, I flew out to Portland, Oregon where my mom lives and she had to sell the house that I'd known since I was 16, 17 years old. We packed up all of her stuff into a, a pod and she moved. She's out here now, which is great because I get to have more breakfast times with mom. But as we packed up and we left the house for the last time, I broke down bawling. And it wasn't because of anything in those pods. It wasn't because anything, because of that house. It was because of all of the times of relationship. All the times when I spent time gathered around tables with people and friends and relatives. All the times my mom laid her hands on me. All the times I remember her praying in her room. It was times together with people, times together with Jesus. It's amazing how sometimes it takes death for us to understand what really, really matters. 
And sometimes it's just simply what do we have in here? Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> Some Cocoa Puffs with Christ. You know, when was, when was the last time instead of praying for a meal and you just, you didn't say, hey God, thank you for these unhealthy Cocoa Puffs. But you invited him in and just say, interrupt my space any way that you want. You're invited here because I want to have relationship with you in the context of relationship with other people. That's the God we serve. And I know for some of you today, you might be like, this feels basic, but it's the gospel. It's love, it's grace, it's forgiveness. And if the gospel has become bland, your taste buds need to be readjusted. Because we should always be hungering and thirsting for this gospel. Hey, our God is good. He restores, he redeems. And some of you need to be set free from some some things today. Maybe it's self-righteousness. Maybe it's just self-condemnation, pride, anxiety. And God's calling from the shore and saying, "Come, come have breakfast with me. Let's do this. So I want to take just a moment. We want to pray. I want to pray with you. So let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray, God. And we thank you for scripture, God. We thank you for just pointing us towards how important relationship is, that you love us so much, that you want to spend time with us, God, and you've encouraged us to spend time with other people. God, I pray that we'll be compelled by scripture to draw closer to you. God, not to be focused on our own behaviors, God, but to be focused on who you are. And along the way, God, as we learn to love you, God, we'll learn to follow you better. We'll fall out of love with those things that we know now to be true. God, will we fall more in love with what you've called us to be. If anyone in here today, you need to just take that first initial step and swim towards Jesus. I want us to say this prayer together. Everybody say, Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. I'm swimming towards you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your acceptance. In Jesus' name.